Our speaker today is Dr. Kurzik. Uh, he is a board-certified dermatologist who graduated uh, with an AOA honors from State, uh, State University of New York at the Health Science Center at Brooklyn after completing his undergraduate work with Phi Beta Kappa at New York University. He completed a Mohs micrographic uh, surgery and a cutaneous oncology fellowship under the auspices of Dr. Frederick Mose at the University of Wisconsin after completing his dermatology residency at State University of New York in Buffalo. Please help me in welcoming Dr. Kursik. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everybody, and thank you for waking up this early on Sunday morning and joining us. So for the next uh, couple of hours, I'm going to try to uh, master the language of coding. You know, we as physicians, in my mind, we're not supposed to deal with this. As providers, we're not supposed to deal with this. But they have made us. They have made us. They have turned practicing medicine into a business. So, and we all go to work to make a living. So we have to master the language of coding, unfortunately. Um, this is my conflict of interest statement. I do a lot of clinical studies, therefore I do receive funding from several different pharmaceutical companies. However, for this lecture, this is my only conflict of interest. We all want to get paid for the work that we do. Um, we go to work to help our patients, but we also go to work to make a living, as well as to pay the bills. So, now, it's, it's very complicated. They have made it really, really complicated for all of us as providers. But on the other hand, we have to learn because we have no choice. Um, the positive side is if we learn, we get paid appropriately. If we don't, and if we overbill, we get penalized. And if we underbill, then we don't get paid enough for the work that we're doing. So we have no choice but to master the language of coding. Um, there are four components, if you think about it, I'm going to try to break it down to make it simple. Number one is the ICD-9 coding, meaning what that patient has, the patient that we're seeing every day, what does he or what does she have, what's the diagnosis. And even if you don't know, which sometimes we don't most of the time, there is a number, there is a code for that. So we have codes for neoplasm of unknown origin. We have codes for rash, unknown origin. So you don't have to know exactly what they have, but you have to put a number for what they think, what you think they have. So that's called the ICD-9 coding. Number two is the CPT or the procedural terminology. What you did for that patient and for that particular condition that that patient has. Well, that has to match. You cannot do prostate surgery for a female. It's just not going to work. The computer is going to spit it out. So it has to match what you do, has to match for the particular condition for that patient. Number three, the government and insurance companies tell you that sometimes when you do something for one condition, is going to be covered for the next 30 days or 90 days, whatever that period is, and you cannot charge any more to that particular person for that particular condition. And that's called global periods. You have to know your global periods 
Because what if that person comes in for another condition within the global period? And you have the right to get paid for that separate condition, but you have to identify somehow on that coding that that's a different condition. And that's where the modifiers come into the picture. So you have ICD-9 coding, the diagnosis. You have procedural coding CPT for what you did for that person for that particular condition. You have global period and you have modifiers. So those are the four different parts or pieces of the puzzle that we have to put together. So that's what I'm gonna try to accomplish for the next couple of hours. Now, most of the providers, they let their secretary or the billing person to do this. Now, this poor person sitting in a room in front of the computer has no clue what happened in that room. So he or she is gonna try to decipher your writing or your EMR and try to figure out what you did in that room for that patient. That makes it very difficult and it's not fair. You, as a provider, have to do that coding while you're in the room. When I get, I see about 70, 80 people a day. When I am getting out of that patient room, I am done with that chart. I am done with my dictation and I don't even have EMR. If you let me, if you ask me later on what I think about EMR, I'll let you know. But I, um, I, uh, I, uh, I am done with my dictation, I am done with my coding, I am done with everything when I leave that room. I'm done. So it's very important that you do your own coding while you're in the room, while it's fresh in your mind. Because you can put down that you did a biopsy on the face. Where on the face? On the eyelid? If you do a biopsy on the eyelid, it pays almost four or five times more than a biopsy on the cheek. Is it on the lip? Lip biopsy pays more than on the cheek. Is it on the ear? So it depends on where that biopsy is. You can put a biopsy on the face. Now the person sitting in the back room trying to cut this, it's gonna probably bill it as a regular biopsy and you're gonna lose a lot of money. That's just one example. And I'm gonna take the example of skin cancers and how specific you have to be. So in the old days, they just wanted to tell us put a skin cancer and the number was 173. Well, now it's not enough just to put 173. You have to have a fourth digit. And the fourth digit will tell you or will tell the computer where that biopsy, where that location is. Where is that skin cancer? Why does it matter? It does matter because if you cut a skin cancer on the eyelid, it pays more then you cut a skin cancer on the back. And how are they gonna know? The only way they're gonna know is if you put that fourth digit at the end of that 173. For example, if you put 173.5, that's on the trunk. If you put 173.0, that's on the lip. Big difference on the price. Um, the same thing for other skin cancers. So 173 is general code for basal cell and squamous cell. Melanoma is 172. Dermatofibrosarcoma is 171. SCC in situ is 232. But that's just a generalization. Again, you have to put the location. The fourth digit will show the location. If you do MOS, you know, most of the carriers won't pay you for MOS anymore if it's on the trunk or on the arms or on the legs. They pay only for the face. 
Again, if you did a skin cancer, if you did MOS for a skin cancer on the trunk, that's 173.5. They are not going to pay for it. But if you did it on the face, 173.3, they will pay for it. And that's one number, the fourth digit will make a difference on that decision-making process on the insurance's side. So again, very, very important. Please put that fourth digit, identify it, and also document it where the skin cancer is. Eyelid, ear, lips pay more than the rest of the face. Don't ask me why somebody made that decision. So for example, 173.1 is the eyelid. It pays the most. I guess ophthalmologists had some pull in the old days. Then the ENT people, 173.2. Two means ear. Three is face. Zero is lip. Four is neck and scalp. Five is trunk. Six is upper extremities. Seven is lower extremities. It's really easy to remember. And if you do it every day for a month, you're going to remember it. I, have a little, I used to have a little list and walk, walk around with it in my pocket. And every time I you know, look it up, after, after a month or two months, you memorize it. Now, then last year, they changed it all again. It wasn't enough that now you have to put the location but they also want you to identify if it's a basal cell or a squamous cell. So if you have a basal cell on the trunk, now you have to put 173.5, five is the trunk, and one identifies it as a basal cell. If it's a squamous cell, then you have to put a two at the end. So now you have diagnosis codes with five digits. So far, any questions? Feel free to ask me any questions. We have a lot of time, and sometimes if I go all the way at the end, and then you forget your question. If any questions, just don't hesitate. I don't mind at all. Interrupt me and ask so that we deal with it as we go along. So is that all clear to everybody? OK. Why is this ICD-9 is important? OK, when you prescribe a biologic, that's only FDA approved for a, let's say, psoriatic arthritis, right? You have to identify if the patient has psoriasis or psoriatic arthritis because you write a biologic for psoriatic arthritis, they are not going to pay for it if the patient has only psoriasis. So you have to put the right ICD-9 code on that request or prior authorization that you fill up for biologics. Uh, so psoriasis, just psoriasis itself is 696.1, but if it's psoriatic arthritis, then it's 696.0. For example, if you're prescribing a biologic, golimumab, it's only approved for psoriatic arthritis. And if you put down that the patient has psoriasis, it's going to be denied flat out right there. You have no chance. So if the patient has psoriatic arthritis, you better identify that. And they certainly can have both. So now you can put them both, 696.0 and 696.1. Patch testing. If you do patch testing, the overall code or the general code for contact dermatitis is 692.9. But I do a lot of patch testing um, 
for different conditions, right? If somebody has eyelid dermatitis and you want to test them for appropriate type of patch testing panel, then you better put the right diagnosis code there to show that that person has eyelid contact dermatitis, which is 373.3. And the list goes on and on for that. Here you go. I cannot even, um, you know, I don't remember those things, but I have a little list. Um, 692.89 is contact dermatitis to preservatives. So maybe the patient ends up having allergic dermatitis to steroids, topical steroids, or maybe they are preservatives in the topical steroids. Well, that's the code that you use. Um, if you use a, let's say, uh, you're testing the patient for a cosmetic panel, right? There are all different panels that you test people. If you're testing them to a cosmetic panel, then you want to show them that they might have contact dermatitis to cosmetics, then your code will be 692.81, as you can see there. So the bottom line is you have to be as specific as you can be. Yes? I am so sorry, but I can't hear you. If, if you said that if you do the patch test and you don't know what they have, excellent condition. But if somebody comes with the eyelid dermatitis, you know you're suspecting that it's eyelid dermatitis, so you can go put that down. The other thing is if you are testing them for a general panel, you know, the standard panel, North American standard panel is 50 patch tests. You can use the general one, 692.9. But then you want to go further and say, you know what, I am using this topical steroid. The patient is not getting any better. I couldn't find anything on the standard panel. Now I have to do something else. And maybe they are allergic to the topical steroids that I'm using. It happens all the time, right? My professor used to say, you're treating somebody if she's not or he's not getting better. Either your diagnosis is wrong or your treatment is wrong. So you want to do something more. And that's when you start testing with different panels, and then yet when you start thinking about maybe it's the cosmetics, maybe it's the topical steroids, then that's when you use those codes. But if you don't know what it is, you have to put dermatitis on what you specify, and when they come back, you have to use it. Right, right, exactly. Any other conditions? That's, that's really a very good, condi uh, good question that you know, how do you stagger them? And I don't do them all at the same time. I usually start with the standard panel. If I don't get anywhere, then the next I do this, that. Um, if you're treating ulcers, right? Let's say that you're putting una, uh, unabut for somebody's leg ulcer. Uh, well, the ICD-9 code for the leg ulcer, or ankle, I should say, is 707.13. Now, you put an unabut on somebody's leg, and then you put the diagnosis code 707.8, that's not going to fly because that's the abdomen, ulcer on the abdomen or arm. Again, what you do, what you build for, has to match the condition that the patient has or you're documenting. It goes back all the way what I just said in the beginning. You cannot do or you cannot build prostate surgery for a female. It's, it, it has to match what you do. Warts. 
Unfortunately, on, the, on my neck of the wood, we have an insurance company called Inhumane, Inhumana. So they don't pay for freezing warts unless it's genital warts or plantar warts. So you have to identify that what you're freezing is plantar or genital warts, which is 078.19. If you put down 078.10, then that can be any word. It's non-specific, can be on the arm, can be on the hand, and they just won't pay for it. So the only diagnosis code they will pay for freezing or destruction of the warts is 078.19 or 111, which is condyloma. The next one, this is probably the most important one. If you have to remember one thing out of the next three hours, remember this. Medicare does not pay for freezing of benign lesions unless they are irritated, unless they are in the sight of the patients that they cannot see, or in the way of their hearing. So if the patient has a benign ward, or a seborrheic keratosis, they are not going to pay for the treatment of that lesion. So if you froze seborrheic keratosis, which is 702.19, they are not going to pay for it, period. Don't fight. It's just the law. It's the rule. However, if that seborrheic keratosis is irritated, then they will pay for it but you have to make sure that you document that it's irritated and you put the right ICD-9 code for irritated seborrheic keratosis, which is 702.11, not 19. Is that all clear? I mean, that is the most important thing because we all see patients with bunch of sepcares that sometimes we just freeze it without thinking. You are not gonna get paid for it. Any questions on that? So we're putting the puzzle together now, slowly but surely. The next thing is that I think it's also very important, biopsies. We do a lot of biopsies in dermatology. And most of us just put, use the general biopsy code 11100. But there are a lot of site-specific biopsies that you get paid more than that general biopsy code 11100. And you have to know your anatomy to make sure that you are doing it right. Eyelid biopsy pays the most. That's 67810. But most people think that eyelid is only the upper eyelid. Well, that's not true. Up to your zygomatic arch, the lower eyelid is also the eyelid and you should build it as such. The lateral canthus is also part of the eyelid, as well as the inner canthus is part of the eyelid. So upper eyelid is not only the eyelid. I just want to make sure you all know that. The lip pays more. The lip is not only the mucosal surface of the lip. Up to the submental crease, it's a lip, but it's the skin of the lip. And the upper lip is also still the lip, up to mellolibial folds. So you have to know your anatomy and make sure that it's marked correctly, documented correctly, and bill it correctly. Ear biopsy pays more. 
So those are important areas that you should know, and most people is under the impression that, well, the eyelid is only means upper eyelid. That's not true. The lip means only the mucosal surface of the lip. That's not true. So 1100 is the skin biopsy for anywhere, general. That pays the list. Then if you do more than one regular biopsy, your second code is 1101, and that is an add-on code. What we mean with an add-on code? You cannot use that code from without the first code, without the 1100. It's always for the second biopsy that you can use 1101. And that can be up to, I don't know, 100 biopsies. Don't do that, please, because nobody is going to pay you for that. But let's say you did four biopsies, so it's going to be the first one will be 1100. I mean, 11100. The second one will be 11101 times three. And that adds up into four biopsies, okay? But you cannot build that second code without the first one. And the second code, 11101, is an inherently reduced amount. So they should not be redu reducing again. Some insurance companies, they go that, and then they reduce it every time you do one, you know, the second and third and fourth biopsy. So basically, by the fifth biopsy, you end up with $2. <laughs> so they should not be doing that. For every biopsy after the second one is the same amount. More or less in my area, for example, Medicare pays about uh, $76 for the first biopsy, and then the second biopsy is about $24, $25. But the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth should be the same, that $25 or $24. It should not be another $12 or $6 or $3, because by the time you reach to the fifth biopsy, you're going to get paid $1.50. So, you make sure that they don't do that. And some private companies, they do that. So you have to be careful that you don't, you're not getting that reduction on your fourth or fifth or sixth biopsy. Now, you do an ear biopsy, that's 69100. By the way, ear is a big area, right? It can be the ear lobe, it can be the tragus, it can be the superior helix, it can be um, anti-helix. So those are all parts of the ear. It can be posterior ear. That's all ear that should be built as an ear biopsy. Eyelid biopsy, lip biopsy, penis, vulva, genital areas, they pay very well, actually. They should not be regular biopsies. They should not be built as a regular biopsy. So please be site-specific as much as you can. It's legal. You should do it. It's your right. And get paid for it. Any questions? Yes, ma'am. Show me where post auricular is. That's scalp. So it is not an ear biopsy. <laughs> right? Because it's right here. You're showing me the scalp. It's post auricular. You're right. It's called post auricular scalp. It's scalp. I cannot do it. It's not on the ear. Sorry. <laughs> But it's a good question, because it's post-auricular, so you think it should be here, but if you think about it, it's not. Yeah. Now, most of, and depends on probably where you're, yes, I'm sorry. Uh, 
On the, on the where? On the lip. Yes. Or you can use modifier 59, and the second one is going to get paid at 50%. Let's say that the first one allowable is 100 bucks. Your second one is going to get paid at $50. But you're absolutely right. You can use it either as two units, or you can use it on a separate line and use modifier 59. Yes? If you're taking more than one representative sample of one lesion, it's a larger pigmented lesion. I typically only charge one biopsy because I'm throwing it in the same bottle. Wait, 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 wait. You're throwing it in the same bottle? One lesion, two representative samples. You're throwing it in the same bottle. You're going to end up with one biopsy report. Right. So one biopsy. Yeah. But I never throw anything in the same bottle. Because now, why, and this is not insurance purpose, but medical legally, if you're throwing it in the same bottle, then they're going to say, what if one becomes melanoma, one is a non-melanoma? Then they're going to say, doctor, why did you put it, uh, why didn't you separate it if you were suspicious that they were two different things? Right. Okay. So the provider that I want, uh, that I work for, says I want you to take separate um, locations, but I want you just to charge one biopsy. Okay. So it's a one biopsy because you're putting in a bottle. One bottle, you're getting one report. Now, if you would put it in two separate bottles and you're getting two separate pathology reports, that's two separate biopsies. Any other questions? Yes, ma'am. That's a, that's a misprocessing of the claim because it's not a contractual issue. The second biopsy, one, one, let me just go back here, 11101, it's already inherently reduced. When you look at your fee schedule, that's about $24, $25. And your third one, which is going to be again 11101, it's still $24, $25. It should not be $12. That's misprocessed claim. You should call back and fight for it. And if they say tough, then don't do it. Send the patient back, bring them back the next day. Now, a lot of practices, and depends on who you're working with, what, they, what the, the way they practice, they hold the pathology reports until, I'm sorry, they hold the billing of biopsies until they get the pathology report because they say that I want to know what I am billing for. That is the most wrong, horrible thing you can do. Do not, do not hold biopsy uh, billing for pathology report. Number one, you're losing time because it's going to take at least a week to get the pathology report. Number two, the, your poor billing person is going to be looking for the chart and, you know, who knows where the chart will be, where, where the sleep will be. Number three, most importantly, philosophically, 
it's the wrong thing to do. Because let's say you did a biopsy, it came back as a skin cancer, and you put down, you're billing now for a biopsy code, and the diagnosis code is skin cancer. And the Medicare is gonna say, doctor, you already know it's skin cancer. Why did you biopsy it? What does biopsy mean? Biopsy means you don't know what the hell is going on. You don't know the diagnosis. That's why you're biopsying it. If you know what it is, why are you biopsying it? You should not be holding for a diagnosis to build for a biopsy. There is a specific code, diagnosis code, that says neoplasm of uncertain behavior. I don't know what it is. That's why I am biopsying it, and that code is 238.2. If it's a rash, you don't know what the rash is. It's 782.1, and that's rash of unknown origin, and that's what you should be uh, billing for. Besides, by holding the biopsy, and besides by billing the diagnosis, if you know what it is, you're not gonna get paid any more or any less. It's the same biopsy code. Why to hold it? This is the code you should be using when you biopsy something, that is the diagnosis code. The only time it pays off to hold for pathology report if you are charging for an excision and you don't know what it is and the excision by uh, the pathology report comes back as malignant, then you get paid more for an excision of a malignant lesion versus a benign lesion. But the catch-22 on that one is, if it comes back as a benign lesion, then they will tell you, why did you excise a benign lesion? You're not supposed to excise a benign lesion, and why should they pay for an excision of a benign lesion? So the bottom line is, the take-home lesson is, never, ever, ever hold a biopsy billing for a pathology. Any questions? Is that clear? Because, yes? It is or it isn't? Okay, you missed the point. I said billing for a biopsy versus billing for an excision. Billing for a biopsy, do not hold. It's a biopsy. You don't know what it is. If you wanna hold for a billing of an excision, not biopsy, excision, and if you bill for an excision of a malignant lesion, you do get paid more. But you should not be doing that either. You should not excise anything without a biopsy because what if what you excise is benign and now you're billing for a benign lesion? And you should not be really billing for an excision of a benign lesion. It should be a biopsy because you didn't know what you were excising to begin with. So the intention is to know, to find out what it is. It's the intention. Your intention is you're cutting something out, meaning you don't know what it is. That's a biopsy to begin with. And do not hold for that. You get paid extra for an excisional biopsy. 
There is no such thing as an excisional biopsy. You just said it's a biopsy. Excisional bi it doesn't matter how you do your biopsy. You can excise the whole thing. You can take a punch. You can pull it with your fingers. I don't care how you do it. It still is a biopsy. You just said excisional biopsy. It can be incisional biopsy. It can be a punch biopsy. It doesn't matter, it's still a biopsy. The intention is you're doing it to find out what it is. Yes? That is the million dollar question and I always bill it as a benign lesion because I'm afraid I'm being conservative because it's really not malignant. And the way I code that, 238.2 still for the excision. That's the only one, that's the only time I use that code for an excision. So I go for a benign excisional code, but I use the diagnosis code 238.2 because still a neoplasm of unknown origin. The only time I use a malignant code when keratoacantoma comes as a squamous cell carcinoma. The biopsy report says keratoacantoma of squamous cell carcinoma origin then I build that as a malignant. You hold the pathologies. I'm sorry, say that again. If you treat what? Okay, so tell me exactly what you're doing. First, you're doing a biopsy. And then what? But you don't know what it is? Not a good practice because you're losing money. I'll tell you why. So let's say that your biopsy report came back as benign. So what do you build for that as a biopsy? No, What's your, what procedure are you billing for? But you, what are you coding for? Okay, what is the code? What are you coding as for your procedure? So you don't even know what they are coding it for? You should know because your name is on that bill. The, the girl who's filling that up is not gonna go to jail. You'll be going to jail, God forbids. It's really, really important. You should, you guys, everybody, as a provider, as long as we have a provider number, I don't care, nurse practitioner, PA, doctor, it gets billed under your name. You are responsible what they are billing you for. You really have to know. Now, I'm gonna give you different scenarios of what happens from what you're telling me. The old timers used to do that because they got paid for two procedures on the same day as a biopsy and the CNE. That's not possible anymore. So, and I'm gonna go run you through the scenarios what can happen in your case. So you did basically a biopsy and then you did a CNE thinking that is a skin cancer on the same day. If that biopsy comes back, and in this case you're holding the biopsy report because you wanna know what it is. In this case, if the biopsy report comes back as a AK or a, not a skin cancer, right? You're gonna bill it as a biopsy because you cannot bill it as a CNE. There is no cancer. 
and that will be okay, but you ended up doing extra work. If it comes back as a skin cancer, you cannot build a biopsy anymore because you did it the same day. The, you can only build a CNE. And now you're gonna get paid under because you're not getting paid for the biopsy. So that is a very old way of practicing and it is the worst billing practice. So what I do is I do my biopsy, I send the patient back, I get paid for my biopsy, two weeks later they come back, if it's benign, I tell them good news for you, it's benign, I don't have to do anything, check on the wound, send them back. If it's a skin cancer, and if you wanna do the CNE, then you do the CNE, and you get paid for that CNE for what you did. So why to do it on the same day? It does not make sense. That's the old timers, nobody that, I mean, 90% of the people don't do that anymore. I used to work with somebody like that, they did the same thing. That's because in the old days, they got paid both for the biopsy and the CNE, and probably they are thinking that they're still getting paid. Tell them that they are not. <laughs> And that's because, that's because you're doing too many things at one visit. That's why you don't have space for the next week or two weeks later. I do one thing or two things at a time. You're being very nice to the patient because you're helping them. You know, they're not coming back again and again. I understand that part and that's very considerate. But unfortunately, you have to make a decision how you practice. And if you keep doing that, you're right, you're not gonna have a room for next week because you're doing too many things on one person, unfortunately. I mean, it's, it's a very tough call. I have 100-year-old people, when they come and see me, I cut everything on them and I do them, but I put them on a special spot because I know they're gonna take my half an hour. So it all depends on how you practice. It's, it's very hard, but I'm just not telling you what I'm telling you from the billing and the coding perspective to maximize legally what you can do. <laughs> Take it that way. Okay, now that I really confused you, well, some of you may wanna go into cosmetic and just inject Botox. <laughs> um, add-on codes. So we did the regular add-on codes, but also regional codes, right? We were talking about, for example, genital biopsies. They paid the best, actually, believe it or not. Valvar biopsy, if you do Valvar biopsies, 566605 is the first one, and then you can do more than one. Your add-on code will be 56606, and you can do two, three, four, five of them, and still it's gonna be inherently reduced code, as I said. Yes, ma'am. Well, it, every carrier is different, every local ad is different, but it's 56605 pays much more than 11100, I can tell you that much. Well, I, I, then it must have been error because I just went and looked it up and 
It was less than 1100. Private insurance? Look at Medicare's fee schedule. I usually, I never do anything with the privates because they play the, with the numbers. I always go back on Medic, I mean, you, usually every year we get a Medicare's fee schedule or you can print it or it's on the computer at every locale. And um, most of the time it is um, better. Am I, yes? Correct. But the intention, again, is you don't know what it is. Is the intention. You can take the whole thing, but you still don't know what it is. So your intention is to find out what it is, then it's a biopsy. then you have to wait, and if you want to build that as an excision, that's the case that, remember I said, you can wait, find out if it's a melanoma, now you can go back and build that as an excision of a melanoma. You can do that. That's an excision. Go ahead. If, if I don't know what it is, the intent of my taking that lesion off is a, is a biopsy to find out what it is, that is a biopsy. It all depends on your intent. The key word is here, intent. If you don't know what it is, I don't care how you cut it off. You can cut the whole thing off, you can cut part of it off, you can do two, by, two millimeter punches. If your intent is you don't know what it is, you don't have any documentation of knowing what it is, then that's a biopsy. Because as somebody put it here in the front, there is something called an excisional biopsy. Yes, you excise the whole thing, but it was for a biopsy. Because if that lesion comes back as a melanoma, as you know, you have to go back and take margins. And so that is, is gonna be a biopsy. Now you're gonna end up charging two biopsies in a row, right? Now, the nails, evulsion of the nail plate. It's, this is very interesting because podiatrists really abuse this code. 11730 is the evulsion of the first nail, single, single nail. Then you can do add-on codes, the next nine, and it's 11732, each additional nail plate. Remember, we have only 10 toenails. Sometimes podiatrists, they go and they evolve 20 nails, and they are not supposed to touch hands. That code has been the most abused code, so Medicare almost like questions every single time that you uh, actually submit that. And not by derms, by podiatrists. 
So be careful with that code. We have only 10 toenails and 10 fingernails that you can evolve. So the most you can do is 11730 and then 11732 times 19. It just doesn't look right. Don't do it. Yes? Which one? That's nice question. That's called correct coding initiative. So you're doing one, you're doing two different things for one purpose. You can only build the one that pays the most. And I know nail biopsy, which is 11755, is going to pay more than your nail evolution. So that's almost like people get a colonoscopy, and then they get a biopsy of the polyp. So you're not going to get paid for both. It's the same idea. That's called correct coding initiative, and I'll go over it a little bit. Freezing. 17,000 code used to be for freezing for everything. Warts, molluscum, AKs, it has changed for the last several years. These codes are only and only and only for actinic keratosis, that's it. So you cannot use this code for any other diagnosis other than actinic keratosis, which is 702.0. Don't use it for seborrheic keratosis, don't use it for warts, don't use it for molluscum. If you freeze, um, actually it, can, it doesn't have to be freezing, I take that back. Any way of destruction, you can put TCA on it, you can spit on it. Whatever you are doing, it doesn't matter. As long as you know that it's a destruction, you can burn it, I don't care. It's called destruction of a premalignant lesion. The first one is 17,000. If you do anywhere from two to 14, that's 17,003 times whatever you have done. Or if you do more than 15, it can be 15 or 115 or 755, it's only one code, 17,004. Yes? What? Coming up, coming up. Hold on to that thought. Yes? Such as? You can use it. This is for, yeah, but you will get, you will get questioned because Medicare is not going to know what that is. So good luck. You have to explain it that this is a proven premalignant lesion, but it's the right way to do it. This is for all premalignant lesion, but 99% of the time we're dealing with AKs, right? Yes. Tell me how many so that I'll tell you. Tell me how many. How many did you free? Four. Four. So 17,000 is the first one. Then you have three left. 17,003 times three. Any questions? This gets really confusing. 17,003 is an add-on code. You cannot use it without the first 17,000. 
and it's also inherently, inherently reduced. So usually 17,003 pays about five, six bucks for each lesion. So they should not be reduced for the third one or the fourth one or the seventh one. Each one of them should be paid at $6 or $5, whatever the allowable is. Just like that's the second biopsy code, 11101, okay? And 17,004 is a single code. It should be used only singly for anything more than 15 lesions. You cannot use it with 17,000 and 17,003. Is that clear? One code that gets very confusing is called cryotherapy. So if you're freezing an AK and the code you're using is 17,000, that's called cryosurgery. A lot of the time, even in the literature, in the articles, people call freezing of the AKs cryotherapy. And scientifically, medically, is not wrong. But terminology-wise, for billing purposes, is very, very, very wrong. Cryosurgery, you take your cryogun or your Q-tip, you spot that AK, and you, you um, aim it, target your liquid nitrogen to that AK. Cryotherapy is done for acne. When you take your cryogun, and sometimes it has a fan-like um, opening, or you just go away and you spritz it on the patient's face like a mist, that's cryotherapy. It's done for acne. It only pays about 30, 40 bucks versus 17,000 pays about $67, $70. And that cryotherapy can also be done CO2 slash ice, but it's for acne. The code is 17340. Make sure when you document it, do not document for this one that you did cryotherapy for actinic keratosis because the government is hungry, they are looking for money, and they're gonna come and say, you did cryotherapy. You wrote in your chart, you did cryotherapy, but you built for cryosurgery. You have to pay money back now with penalty. Please do not, put, do not write down cryotherapy. Write down you did cryosurgery and document how many. Just 17,004. The same thing if you do 16. The same thing if you do 166. 17,004, that's it. Is this clear, the difference between cryotherapy and cryosurgery? Now, somebody asked me, how do you freeze how do you freeze benign lesions, including seborrheic keratosis, right? Irritated seborrheic keratosis. This is the code for warts, molluscum, irritated seborrheic keratosis, any other benign lesion, I don't care what you're freezing or destroying, except skin tags. Up to 14, 17110, if you do 15 or more, 17111. 
you did, let's say, 16 irritated seborrheic keratosis, you did three warts, you did five molluscum. What are you going to use? Which code? The first one or the second one? Hands. Second one. That's it. What if you did one irritated care, one wart, one molluscum on the same patient? Which one are you going to use? First one or the second one? First one. That's it. Regardless what the diagnosis is. That's for benign destruction of benign lesions. What if you put, let's say, you frozen irritated sepcare, one, you put trichloroacetic acid on a molluscum, and then you froze a genital wart. Now I'm going to get you guys. Really confusing. You have one molluscum that you, you did TCA. You froze one irritated sep care. What code? The first one or the second one? First one. But you also did one um, genital wart. You froze a genital wart. That's a separate code. That code is not here. That's exactly right. I'm sorry? You will get paid for both of them, but one will be half, you know, 50% reduction. One will be. Different code, you do get paid. You should fight for it. Because genital code, genital ward is a separate code. It's five, four something. I'll show it to you. No, it's not. Remember? Here, I'm going to get to that. It's not the same diagnosis. That's what it's very important. OK, so your genital code is 078.19 or 078.11. Let's say your genital condyloma, you put 178.11, and then for the other word, you can use 078.10. This is why I don't have EMR. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yes. Yes. You're right. So let's say that you froze one AK, that's 17,000, and your diagnosis code is 7020. And then let's say that you froze one irritated seborrheic keratosis, that's 702.11, and then you will use 17110. And you use modifier 59, so now they know that you already did two different things for two different diagnoses and you should get paid the, most, the one that pays the most. In this case, will be the freezing of the AK at 100% and then freezing of the SEPCARE at 50% of the allowable. It's coming. It's all the genital cords, all the urology cords starts with a five, by the way, so that you know all the skin cords starts with one. Um, I, ophthalmology cords start with six, uh, GI code starts with four, all the way from the mouth to the rectum, and then all the urology code starts with a five. So, here comes, see? 
If you look at the destruction of cryosurgery of penis lesion, it's 54056. Destruction of the penis lesion chemical, 54050. That's if you use podophylline or trichloroacetic acid or whatever. It's not the freezing. Um, they have the same thing for female genitalia, the same thing for anal lesions. But you have to be careful now because they all have 10-day global period. So when we talk about the global periods, also we'll discuss that. Because if that patient comes back in 10 days, let's say in seven days, you froze a genital wart. The patient comes back in seven days and says, hey doc, I forgot to show you, I have an AK on my scalp. And now you froze that AK, if you do not use the right modifier, you're not gonna get paid for it. Because that freezing of the genital wart had 10 day global period. So we'll go over the modifiers. Malignant destruction. So this, is, this brings up the point that uh, destruction, CNE, of a malignant lesion. If you did the biopsy, you brought the patient back in 10 days or two weeks, you have the biopsy report, and it turned out to be a basal cell, and you do your CNE, uh, then you will get paid. But if you do it the same day, you're gonna get paid either for the biopsy or for the CNE, but not both. That's the difference. So you have to pick your poison. And if you think you're so busy that you cannot fit these people in in two weeks appointment, then you just have to bite the bullet and do it at the same time and get paid for one. But the malignant destruction, all of them have 10 days global period. And again, it depending on the location and depending on the size of your destruction, it pays at different rates. For example, always, 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 face, ears, eyelids, nose, lips pay more than the trunks, arms, and legs. And depending on the size, that's why I have a wrench there. <coughs> Excuse me. So 17280 <coughs> up to 17286. So it depends on the size. That's why there are different numbers. Any questions on that? And malignant destruction can be any way. It doesn't have to be CNE. You can do liquid nitrogen. You can use acid. You can do laser. I don't care how you destroy it. Yes? They won't let you code that, you said? Not if you code 702.11, they should not get a bill. And if they are, your the Medicare care is not doing the right thing, you should call and take care of it. If you're billing 702.19, they will get a bill. Actually, they're not gonna get a bill. They're not gonna pay you. They will not get a bill. Who are they gonna get a bill for? You're sending the bill. Why are you sending a bill? Medicare doesn't send a bill. Your office sends a bill. So don't send a bill. Medicare never sends a bill to the patient, right? Your office sends a bill. 
I'm sorry, I didn't understand. Sorry, I didn't. Come on up, because that's. So usually. Okay. Okay, but they, if they are not irritated, you're not supposed to freeze them anyway. You just have to pay the check. You have to build it. Uh, that's considered fraud. So now you have not irritated SEP cares. You're freezing them and you're billing Medicare. That ain't good. You have to build the patient. Or you have to bite the bullet and don't build the patient at all, which is also fraud because you're giving free services to a Medicare patient to enhance them to come to your office, which is even worse. So <laughs> it is. You can, I, 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 I had to build my own mother. If you have a Medicare patient, you cannot give them free service unless they are needy and they show you their tax report, blah, 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 that they cannot pay their copay or what they owe you. Because what that means is, and I'm going to give you an example. For example, let's say that the Medicare patient comes as she is doing freezing the seborrheic keratosis because she feels bad for them. But you're charging an office visit now. The office visit goes to Medicare. So Medicare says, well, you keep getting these people in. You're freezing their SEPCARES for free. You're doing them a favor. But on top of that, you're billing me an office visit. So that is called fraud. You are incentivizing the Medicare patient to come to your office by giving them a free service, a free procedure, and then charging an office visit. The only time you can do it, and it is not fraud, you absolutely don't charge anything to anybody. So let's say that you feel bad for this Medicare patient and you want to get rid of his SEP cares. It's not irritated, but it looks ugly. You want to remove them? Go ahead, remove them. But you cannot charge an office visit for that visit to Medicare. Not only you cannot charge them an office visit, but if you cut those seborrheic keratosis, and you know, you're worried that maybe it's a melanoma, you send them to the lab, and the lab charges Medicare, now you're again doing something that the government is being charged. So it's really a double whammy. It does not pay off to be nice to people. It really, it, it does, I mean, it's, it's horrible. But the, I'm just telling you what the rules are. Yes? And pay them and charge them. Absolutely. And that's what you should do. And that's what I do. So don't do it for free. Absolutely. You can actually, now I'll give you an example. The patient comes back. The patient comes and they say, Doc, I don't like this. What are those? Tell me. So you make an evaluation. You say those are seborrheic keratosis, not irritated, not infected, not inflamed. I make a note. I say there is no need to remove them. You keep them. I charge an office visit for that to Medicare. That's totally fine. The patient says, but I don't like them. I want you to get rid of them. Okay, you want to pay? We can get rid of them. You get the ABN, as she put it, and you tell them how much it will be. You collect the money up front, and you do it. That is totally fine. And in that situation, you can go and charge an office visit to Medicare because you did an evaluation. You told them what they are, and you told them they don't have to be removed. 
but the patient wants them to be removed, that's considered a medically unnecessary process. You cut them off, you got paid. Yes, yes, absolutely, yes. It doesn't, since there is no equivalent for Medicare, okay, if it's, if it's a covered fee, you can never charge anybody less than you charge Medicare. It's illegal. But in this case, it's almost like a cosmetic, right? It's like, does, can anybody tell you how much you charge for your Botox? You can charge $1, you can charge $100, you can charge $1,000. So there is no set fee or legality what you want to charge for a medically not covered services. You can do it for a dollar, you can do it for 100 bucks. Whatever the market calls for it. There is no, there is no legality. But I'll give you another example of what you just said. Let's say a cash paying patient comes and you do a biopsy and you make a deal with that patient, and you say, give me 30 bucks, I feel sorry for you. Guess what? You're charging Medicare $90 for a biopsy every day, and you charge that cash-paying person $30, now you broke the law. You have to charge at least $90 to that cash-paying person because you're charging Medicare $90. So you can never ever charge less than what you charge to Medicare to anybody else. But I'm talking about the charge. You still can charge the other side of the coin. You still can charge this cash paying person on the paper, on the super bill, $90, but the guy pays you 30 bucks. What are you gonna do? Shake him down, put him in jail, beat him up? But so there are ways of doing it, but you have to do it the right way. So you still charge the $90 like you're charging Medicare. The guy says, I have 30 bucks. So you take the 30 bucks and that's it. And then you tell him, if you, send, if you get a bill, ignore it. Because you have to send a bill. No, no, you don't have to charge an office visit. I'm just talking about the fee schedule now. So the, your fee schedule should be the same, should not change for other people, or should be as, at least as much as the Medicare uh, charge. Because remember, there are private insurances that pays less than Medicare, right? And that's legal. But what you're doing is you're charging the same on your fee schedule. It's just that because you have a contractual agreement, for example, Humana pays me actually 80% of the Medicare rates. So am I breaking the rule? No. But I'm not charging them 80% of Medicare. I still charge $100 to everybody. But one pays 90, one pays 70, one pays 60. So it's just finagling your way how to do it legally. Yes? Did you get a clarification on that? Because our office doesn't do accounts, right? Yeah. yeah, I do it too. Is it what Medicare paid and will reimburse or what you bill? What you bill. So how do you get around that if you do that? If you're, how do you... I just said, I bill everybody $100 for a biopsy, okay? Medicare pays $76, Humana pays $66, Blue Cross pays $90, the private pay will pay me $30. Bucks. What am I going to do? 
but I bill everybody $100. That's the law. What I bill, not what I get. I cannot control what I get. I can only control what I bill. So when you look at my computer on my super bill, biopsy price is $100 for everybody across the board. Medicare, Medicaid, Blue Cross, private pay, it doesn't matter. But they all pay separately. Well, but basically what I do is we charge $100, pay me whatever you can, and then we'll take care of the rest. I never give a number. I don't want to be like in the bazaar and negotiate. So, you know, and some people pay the 100 bucks, by the way. <laughs> yes? And you're doing exactly the right thing. So what's going to happen is you're going to get paid for the office visit, and then they're going to say your procedure code is not covered, which you already have an ABN, and you charge the patient. You're doing 100% right. And there's a modifier for that. I think it's GA or XC. There's a modifier that you put next to your procedure that you already charge the patient. You already have the ABN. There is a modifier for that. So you are doing exactly the, how it's supposed to be done. OK. Moving on. Benign excisions. And this is sort of an oxymoron, because you're not supposed to do benign excisions unless patient wants it and pays for it. The only time the benign excision, my excision becomes a benign excision is when it's an atypical nevus, it's a dysplastic nevus, then I charge as a benign excision and I use the diagnosis code 238.2. Other than that, I never charge a benign excision. If somebody wants a benign excision, they gotta pay me. Why would I take a benign mole off? Why, would, why should the insurance pay for it? There is no need to do it. They don't like something, they gotta pay for it. The only time I ended up charging insurance a benign uh, is, unfortunately, because there is no right code, it's the, it's the dysplastic nevi that I'm excising. And the code I use for that is 238.2 still. And I charge a benign excision and I get paid for it. Is that clear? But don't, don't just take off a mole because you know it's benign and the patient doesn't like it, they gotta pay for it. Benign. For cyst I charge. Unless it's infected and inflamed, 
then I don't take it off. I do an incision and drainage. And that's covered because that's not an excision. That's an incision and drainage. But if it's a cyst, I just, uh, I just charge for it. And if they don't like it, if they don't want to pay for it, I tell them I don't want to deal with them. I say, go see a plastic surgeon. It's in, it, I consider it inflamed, and I do an incision and drainage. Because the problem with that is, unlike the seborrheic keratosis, there is no ICD-9 code that tells you it's a tender cyst that it should be removed. So you're going to be questioned. You're a very smart man. <laughs> but would it be the right thing? Because what you know that it's a cyst already. You have a 1% doubt in your mind, then you can do it, yes. Absolutely, but then, then now what's gonna happen is you should build it as a biopsy because you don't know what it is, not as an excision. Then you build it, then you do all that work, dig that cyst, put stitches, and get paid for a biopsy. Is it worth it? <laughs> We have to learn as providers, start charging patients. Insurance is not a right. Insurance is a privilege. We have to learn to charge people for what they want if it's really not medically necessary. We have spoiled our patients. It's very interesting. When they go to plastic surgeon, they know that they should pay. They never bring up insurance. They come to me, they want Botox for their headaches. Can't you put it for, you, for my migraine? They have to learn to pay for things if it's not medically necessary. We have to train them. And it's okay, in the process, you're gonna piss off a couple of people. You're gonna lose a couple of patients, but it's okay. It's our job to make sure that they understand that the insurance should not pay for everything. Guess what's happening? Acne, anybody here from North Carolina? Blue Cross Blue Shield of uh, North Carolina is not paying for acne and rosacea anymore, right? For office visit, not procedures. Office visit, Blue Cross of Blue Shield of North Carolina, as of last year's of July 1st, correct me if I'm wrong, is not paying for office visits for acne. So you have to tell these people that you have to pay for your office visit now. or. You can find maybe a seborrheic keratosis or something, put another code, and then treat their acne. But how many times are you gonna find a SEP care or a mole on a 16-year-old kid, and you see them every month or every two months? Things are gonna change. People have to learn to pay, like it or not. Yes? Depends on where it is, depends on how big it is, depends on how much I like the patient. Or I don't. I mean, if I think that somebody is going to be a pain in the neck, I told them, go see a plastic surgeon. If it's somebody, it's my patient, I like them, I know they are easy to get along with, I charge a couple of hundred dollars and be done with it and do a service. Sometimes I do it for free. If it's a nice person, they keep coming to me, they bring me a lot of business, I do it for free sometimes. But again, we don't have to. But I never charge the insurance. I'm sorry, say that again? I know you said that you are billing 
but there is no painful lesion code for a cyst. It's a V code. Oh, you mean the pain? Oh, and and then charging as an excision for that. Try it if you're gonna get paid. It's not easy. And you get paid? Do you look at the EOBs? Yeah, you would hear that? That's good then, yes. Depends on where it is. If you do an excision on the face, you're gonna get paid much more than an IND. You do an excision on a chest or back, on the trunk, I'll tell you what, they don't pay much. Maybe 100 bucks, maybe 80 bucks. And then if you do put those stitches, then that's gonna even be discounted at 50%. Now you're gonna end up with 100, 150 bucks. I don't even know, it's worth it, your suture time, your room time, your sterile tray. You really have to think about all those things. Because I'll tell you what, I can do 10 biopsies in that amount of time and make more money. Malignant excisions pay more than the benign excisions. As I said, this is the only time if you wanna hold a pathology report, not bill, if you wanna bill it as an excision, and if you think it's malignant, hold it, wait, let the report comes back as a basal cell or squamous cell, you excised it, and then you bill it as an excision. And hopefully the margins are negative. All those things, by the way, have 10 days global period. I hope now everybody has those billing systems that you don't have to think about it when the girls put in the, um, do the billing, it blinks that you have a 10 day global period and they put the right modifier because that is difficult for me to remember. I don't know what I did 10 days ago or nine days ago, unless you go back and look, which probably we should, but you have to use a modifier 79 if they are coming back within the 10 days. And um, if you're doing a flap or a graft after an excision, you are not gonna get paid, excuse me, you're not gonna get paid for the excision, by the way. Remember that. Let's say you cut a basal cell and you do the flap you are not gonna get paid for cutting that excision. You're just gonna get paid for your flap. The same thing with a graft. The only time you get paid for a graft or a flap the same day if you are doing MOS. If you do MOS, then you do the flap or the graft on the same lesion on the same patient the same day, you do get paid for both. But if you do an excision and a flap, you don't get paid for the excision. You just get paid for the flap. Yes? Yeah, it doesn't matter what you, frozen section excision. Yep. Simple repairs, let's talk about the repairs. If you do an excision and a simple repair, you do not get paid for the simple repair, you just get paid for your excision. If you do a biopsy, let's say you did a four or six millimeter punch biopsy, you put a couple of sutures, that's a simple repair, 
you are not going to get paid for that repair. That's only a biopsy. The only time you get paid for a simple repair is when some kid comes, has a laceration, something happened at home or at school, they open wound, you put stitches. That's a simple repair. You get paid for that. But other than that, I cannot think any incidents that you're going to get paid for a simple repair. Simple repair means, by the way, sutures, only superficial sutures. That's it. No inside sutures, okay? Intermediate repairs is the time when you put inside sutures and then you put outside sutures. That's considered intermediate repairs. You get paid according to the location and according to the size. The way to measure the size from first suture to the last suture. I don't care how big your wound is. I don't care how small your wound is. From the first suture to the last suture. That's the size of your repair. And again, um, anywhere on the eyelid, face, ear, nose pays the most. Trunk extremities pays the least. And that's the intermediate repair. It also has 10 days global period. Complex repair means complex, more complex than intermediate. <laughs> it's a gray zone. What does it mean? You have to do extensive dog ear repair. You have to put a couple of sutures underneath your deep layers to close the fascia if you're close to the muscle. Um, so there is a nice description of a complex repair in the CPT book, but it's still it's a difficult one to differentiate from intermediate repair. Most of my repairs are intermediate. If I do MOS, then it's a circle. My hole is a circle, then I have to go back, really cut dog ears and all that stuff, then I charge as a complex repair. If I take a basal cell out, I regular excision, usually my repair is an intermediate repair. Again, the size, of, the size is from the first suture to the last suture. And then again, the um, eyelids, ear, nose pays the most. Face is the second one, and the trunk is the one that pays the least. And then with the, it's, it goes with the size, of course. And they all have 10-day global period. Flaps and grafts, 90-day global period. You better remember, this happens all the time. You do a flap or a graft, the old man comes back in uh, couple of weeks, you take the sutures off, got a couple of AKs, you freeze the AKs, you are not going to get paid unless you remember that you did a flap or a graft, it's 90-day global period, and you better use the modifier 79. You should get paid, and they will pay you if you use that modifier 79. But it's really important to remember that because sometimes they come back two and a half months later, they have another skin cancer, you want to biopsy it. And you forget that you already did a flap on this guy 17, let's say 89 days ago. Now for one day, you're gonna get burned. <coughs> so most of the billing systems with the advance of the computers, it should remind you, it should make a light or bleep to your billing person that you know this person is still in that 90 day global period, I hope. 
Um, the flaps and the graphs should be built according to the area, not the diameter. You have to go back and remember how to measure the area of a circle. Most people, because especially if you do a MOS or even if you do an excision, right? So the, the, the description of a flap or a graft, it says um, the primary defect resulting the area, um, let's see here. It's basically the area of the defect that you're measuring, okay? That's the, that's the key word here. And what happens here is when you measure the area of the defect, if it's a circle, most people take the uh, scale and they, you know, the tape measure and they look at it from one end to another. They usually take the widest um, diameter. It's, let's say, 10 centimeter in this, in, this, in this case. So you charge 10 centimeter defect. But actually, the real defect is not 10 centimeter. If you take it, you, you have to remember how to come up with the area of a circle. Right, the area of a circle is pi r squared. You gotta go back and do remember high school ge um, geometry. So pi r squared, the r, the small r, is the radius of a circle. So in this case, if 10 centimeter is a diameter, five centimeter is the radius. And the way to do it is five pi r squared. Pi is 3.14. R is five in this case. Five times five is 25 and 25 times 3.14 is 78.5 square centimeter. You charge that as 10, you lost a lot of money. Amazing, huh? <laughs> a little bit of high school geometry goes a long way. There was something called epilgraft. Um, now there are other skin substitutes for uh, diabetic wounds, diabetic ulcers, um, and I used to use it quite a bit, then the company disappeared, I don't do it anymore, but actually there were codes for this that you can use that as a graft, and it's an easy thing to do, it's sort of fun, now you have to pay for it, you have to buy and pay for it, but you know, you can use it under most wounds if you don't want to do a closure, you can take that stuff, it's a cultured uh, keratinocyte, and you put it there and then it grows and it holds it, it heals very nicely and you get paid very nicely depending on the size, 25 square centimeter or less or up to 25 square centimeter, no sutures involved, nothing. Uh, it's an easy thing to do. Um, this company this, uh, disappeared, it was called Organogenesis and then originally it was Novartis. I don't know who bought it, but I, I'm not, I can't get hold of them, I'm not doing it anymore. But the, still, the codes are still there. Tissue cultured allogenic skin substitute. If you find it, if you like to do different things, it's, it's a fun way of treating people. If you have a hole and you, wanna, you don't wanna put stitches, you wanna just put a skin graft and that's, you can do it easily, easy stuff. Complications, okay, so certain complications, there you have to bite the bullet and do it for free. Somebody comes for suture removal, that's really not a complication, that's an expected event and you, you cannot charge, you should not charge. But some, uh, you know, let's say some schmuck, you do a skin cancer excision on his arm and then he goes and he plays his fancy tennis the next day, the wound opens, it's not your fault. So, you know, uh, he comes back, you gotta put stitches. You can actually bill for that. That's called wound dehiscence. There is a bill, uh, there is a 
code for it, 998.32. Somebody has a bleeding abnormality and you did surgery, comes back the next day, he's bleeding, 998.12. And then you stop the bleeding, 998.11. So there are codes for complications, or I should say unexpected complications, um, unexpected complications, and you can bill for those. It's totally fine. Yes? Is it, it's a whole different totally doctor, right? It's not you, not, not affiliated with you. The most surgeon doesn't work for you. You can do anything you want. You can bill. You didn't, that, you didn't do that work. You can bill anything you want. Yes? No, because you didn't do the procedure, right? Somebody else did it. That person has nothing to do with your company, doesn't bill under your tax ID number. Yes? What if the most surgeon does work for your uh, office? You cannot charge. What if the most surgeon works in your office? So that means if the most surgeon works in your office, you're billing under the same tax ID number, under the same organization. So then that you cannot. Yes? Two excisions. Yeah, you can do it. You can use modifier 59. Yeah, you can do it. Yes, now, the excisions don't add up, but if you do add two closures, let's, and I'll, actually, let me go back, let me give you an example. I'll make life easy, okay? So, let's see here, you did two, uh, two atypical mole, one is on the, Face one is on the trunk, okay? So you charge them separately. Now, you did a um, clo intermediate closure for the one for the face. So you pick one of those codes here, as you can see, 12051, let's say. And then the other one you did on the trunk, and that code, let's say, 12031, depending on the size. So you build them separately with modifier 59. But if you did two on the trunk, okay? two excision on the trunk, you charge those two excisions separately, modifier 59, and you did a closure on both of them. Now, you have to add up the size of to your closures, and that comes up under one code. And let's say that is from zero to 2.5 centimeter is one, two, or three, two, and then 2.5 to five is another code. So basically, you can only charge one code you add those two up. So if it's in the same body location, you have to add up your closures and build it under one code. If there are two separate areas, one on the scalp, one is on the face, then you can build them separately. And all of them should get modifier 59, and all of them will get reduced at 50%. Any other questions about the most surgeons being there or being in the same practice, other practice? So if you're in the same practice, unfortunately you cannot bill.
if it's in the same global period, even though it's an, another provider, because all of you guys are billing or supposed to be billing under the same tax ID number for that company. But the person has nothing to do with your office, you're sending them outside, and then the patient comes to you for something else, complication, you didn't do the work, you didn't get paid, so you can bill for it. Any questions? Yes? What's 262? I don't know. No, I always do 238.2 because if you, if you do 216, that's a totally benign lesion, and they're going to say, why did you excise a benign lesion, doctor? But a typical nevus is really not a benign lesion. It's most likely neoplasm of uncertain origin because you don't know. It can become a melanoma. It may not become a melanoma. It really, the name is so good on that one uncertain behavior. Well, I mean, if they come and ask you and audit you, then you can always send the pathology report and say, you know what, it's really not a benign lesion, even though it got coded benign lesion. So, you know, if they, because what happens, especially with Medicare, Medicare never does pre-audit, they do post-audit. They come back six years later and they say, send me all those things. And then they can tell you that, why did you cut the benign lesion? But if you have documentation that shows that, you know, what you cut is really not a truly benign lesion, it's an atypical nevus, you have a good defense. Nobody is going to blame you. If they ask 100 other providers, 100 other providers is going to say, yes, that should be cut. Oh, 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 well, well, oh, I didn't understand the question. Wait a second. So the pet comes back is inflamed nevus? Yes, Bad move. You're not supposed to move anything unless you have a biopsy report. That's, it's coming back to the same story that somebody asked me in the back, you cut a melanoma and you think it's a melanoma and you put as an excision. The intent should be a biopsy. Biopsy it first, then cut it later if necessary. Don't just cut it because you think it's inflamed or it's atypical or whatever. Then you can never be questioned. Nobody is gonna question you for a biopsy, but people will question you for an excision because excision pays more than a biopsy and it becomes a self-serving issue. Because in that case, they're gonna tell you, well, you're always thinking it's bad, that's why you're excising, but let's pull your biopsy report and say 19% of the time it came back as irritated nevus, so 10% of the time it came back as melanoma, so you're wrong 90% of the time. So you have to pay back 90% of what you collected. That's how they do it. Benign. That's the only time I 
have an excision for a benign lesion. But that's exactly what I do. I biopsy it first. I charge a biopsy. I wait for the biopsy report. It comes back as atypical nevus. Margins are positive. I go back, I go back, excise it, charge it as a benign excision using the code 238.2 again. That's the only time. That's your judgment. That's between you and your patient. Sometimes it comes back mild to moderate cytologic atypia. Sometimes it comes back mild to moderate architectural disorder. So I asked the patient, I said, look, here's the deal. You have three options. I always give three options. I actually give four options. One, do nothing. It's your body. But I don't know. It may become something bad. It may not. I cannot guarantee you. Two, I can excise it for you with without sutures today because I usually, if, if I do things without sutures, I do it fast. I can do it now. I can excise it for you with sutures. You can come back. I can send you to a plastic surgeon. You tell me what you want to do. Never. Never. It's, unless it comes back as a melanoma, then it's malignant. But if it says, I don't care, even if it's a severe cytologic atypia, it's still not a melanoma. And the reason why I'm saying this, you have to understand, you are not dealing with doctors when it goes to Medicare or insurance companies. You are dealing with lay people with certain codes. And the, the code doesn't allow you to have something in between. The closest you're going to come is 238.2. Uh, and if it doesn't say a melanoma, if it doesn't say a squamous cell carcinoma, these people are going to look at that list and it says, you lied, you cheated, that's fraud. Because there is no such thing here as atypical nevus for a malignant code. There isn't. So you just have to make the best out of it. <coughs> Excuse me. Any other questions? All right, we're putting the puzzle together. Global periods. The way I remember it is in dermatology, 90% of the time, most of the things that we do is 10-day global period, except regular biopsies and Mohs micrographic surgery is zero days. Flaps and grafts are 90 days. Everything else is 10 days. Unless you're doing a fancy biopsy, uh, perirectal biopsy or a tongue biopsy, those are also 90 days. I mean, those are also 10 days. That's on the second list. 4110, for example, that's a perirectal biopsy. Um, uh, one is a tongue biopsy. Everything on, four, I'm sorry, no. 45100, it's perirectal. 4110 is tongue biopsy. So the bottom line is most of the biopsies are zero days. Most micrographic surgery is zero days. Um, everything else is 10 days. Grafts and flaps are 90 days. So most of the things that we do is really 10 days. Excision, regardless benign or malignant, 10 days. Destruction of a malignant lesion, 10 days. Destruction of AKs, 10 days. Destruction of warts, 10 days. Everything is 10 days. So, you know what's the best thing to do? Bring people back in two weeks. Then you're done. You don't have to worry about it. I always bring people back in two weeks.
then you don't have to worry about it most of the time. Unless you're doing a fancy flap or a graft, then that's 90 days, just remember. Any questions? Okay, now the fun part starts, modifiers. Everybody gets confused with the modifiers. So the way to do, think about the modifiers, the modifiers allow you to make illegal things legal. They let you do what you need to do, which you're not allowed to do. It's almost like mother may I type of a deal, okay? Can I go to the bathroom? I wonder I'm in the classroom, I'm not supposed to, or whatever. Can I have a candy even though I had a candy yesterday? Or can I have ice cream even though I didn't have dinner? So that type of a deal. Um, <laughs> just think about it like that. Modifier 25 is basically lets you, do a, lets you get paid for an office visit when you do a procedure. Because normally, if you do a procedure, the insurance and the government assumes that you should not charge for an office visit. That's it. You have a ward, you freeze a ward, they are telling you that, you know what? It's part of the deal. Tough luck, bide it, you're not gonna get paid for that office visit. Because it's a ward, you froze the ward, you're getting paid for the freezing the ward. But what if the kid has a ward and an acne? So you took care of their acne, and you took care of their ward. You should get paid for that office visit. It's, a, it's the right thing. They said, oh yeah, but how are we gonna know? The only way that you're gonna let them know is to put a modifier 25 next to your office visit code. That's it, and they pay. Then, let's say, yes. Okay, legally, yes. So, it's a first visit. You just have one diagnosis for that ward. Medicare normally says it, that includes your evaluation, you document it, and you pay for it, and they, you get paid for it. But most of the private companies are a fight. If you sit next to your billing girl, and if you see the, how they sweat, because 90% of the time, they don't wanna pay for it if you have one diagnosis. Be kind to your billing person, find another diagnosis. And it is so easy to find another diagnosis in dermatology. You look at the person's face, you can come up with 10 moles, 10 seborrheic keratosis, 10 cherry angiomas, dry skin. I mean, I can go on and then I sit in the subway in Manhattan and I look at people's faces. I always count how many diagnoses I can come up with. <laughs> Honestly, and that's without being undressing the people. I'm just looking at their face. Sun damage. So, actually you're doing a favor because you're telling somebody that you also have sun damage, use sunscreen. So the bottom line is, Technically, you're 100% correct, but if you want to make your life easy, find it, document it, and be done with it. Yes? So, this comes up in my practice a lot. Recently, actually, we do a lot of sensational catalog tests for acne. Yes. Um, and what we have recently started doing is 
Sure. It is, but I'll make your life easier. If you're really injecting a cyst, then you can use 706.1 for your acne and 706.2 for your cyst. That's what I do. Yeah, because that's intralegional, right? Really, you, sh you can and you are allowed to and you, can you should get paid for injection of a cyst. That's not going to fly by. That ain't going to fly by. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes. It's a tough fight. Technically, you're right, but it's a tough fight. Find something else. And I'll tell you, if you're freezing the wart, most of the time, 90% of the time, people are going to have either hypo or hyperpigmentation. I'll give you a hint. So you put down post-inflammatory hypopigmentation. I advise the patient, if they keep continuing cryosurgery, they may end up with that, and they are OK with it. And that not only gets you extra money, but it also covers you medical legally that you address the issue, you did not overlook at it, because two years later they come back and say, you made my kid, you give him a polka dot face or polka dot arms. That's because of the hypopigmentation. Now you are covered and you got paid for it. I saw some, uh, yes. Go. Yes, you can if you have cysts on the face, or if you have dyschromia, or you have another diagnosis, you can. The acne surgery is 10040. Some insurances pay for it very nice, some don't, but yes. But again, remember, how many times these people come every four to six weeks, as he said, how many times can you use the same diagnosis, dyschromia, over and over and over, and what are you doing for it? as long as you're documenting it. Okay, you have to make sure and you have to understand with Accutane that the office visits, meaning not paperwork that you're doing on the computer to get eye pledge. The office visit code Upcodes are for extensive medical consultation or whatever you want to call it. And yes, most of the time you're spending a lot of time with these patients, but is that time because of the eye pledge, because somebody is doing the eye pledge on the computer, or because you're actually in the room having a face-to-face -face interaction, discussing the patient's triglycerides, discussing the patient's dry eyes, discussing the patient's dry mouth, discussing the patient's headaches or eye problems or depression, I don't know. As long as you can document all those medical things, I think you are allowed and you should be charging that extra level office visit. But not because you're spending an hour on the phone or on that computer doing their eye pledge work. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. The same thing when you, bill a, when you 
treat patients with biologics, right? It takes a long time to treat people with biologics. You have to discuss the risk of the cancer, the infection, the tuberculosis. You have to look at their um, immune status. I take HIV, I do hepatitis B. So it takes a lot of time to see those patients and evaluate them. And as long as you justify that office visit, you know, review of system, blah, 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 then you certainly can charge it. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Yes? You know, every local carrier, every local Medicare, Medicaid, they have their own rules. I don't know. But why are you going to charge them an office visit now? Because you already did the office visit. You evaluated them for the words. You should. Normally, you should. All those things that I am telling you are under the normal conditions. What are the traditional guidelines are? Doesn't mean that every carrier follows what's here, to be honest with you. They don't have to. This is AMA CPT guidelines. 99% of the time, Medicare follows it, <coughs> but private carriers, Medicaid's don't. You certainly can try it, and then if you try it, you're not going to be doing anything wrong. Okay. Let's put it this way. Modifier 25 goes after that. Well, diagnosis is one diagnosis, acne. Oh, if they have it, if they have it, no. But even if they don't have it, you're going over it, right? So I always ask these people when they come, my, the first question I ask, do you feel like jumping off the window? Do you feel like killing yourself or your teacher or your parents? And that's like, that's really evaluating their depression. That's the first thing. Uh, and then they ask, how is your bowels? Uh, do you have bloody stool? Uh, then I ask, do you have dry eyes? Is your eyes burning? Do you see double vision? Do you have a headache? Do you have dizziness? So really, you are going through it. Even if they don't have it, you're still doing the work. 706.1, yeah. I mean, if they have dry eyes, dry nose, then it's 706.8. You know, you can put all that stuff. If somebody has pseudotumor cerebri, I don't know what the code is, but I put the code. But the, I, had, I just had one last week, yeah, and I had to call the neurologist and ophthalmologist and send them. So that's extra work, and you get paid for it. There's a V code. Yeah, there's a V code. Guys, by the way, I think the other people had a break. Do you guys want a break, or I can continue? Or if you want a break, have a break, come back. Break? Okay. Come back. Ten minutes? Five minutes? What do you want? Five? Okay. Okay. Is that better? 
Okay, so we did the modifier 25. Let's talk about modifier 24. Modifier 24 is going to allow you to charge an office visit, another office visit, during a global period. And I'm going to give you an example. So you did a freezing for an AK. The patient comes back. The global period for freezing an AK is 10 days, right? Five days later, the patient comes back. You know, I forgot. I had a rash, too, on my back. I never showed it to you. So now you look at the patient, has a rash, dermatitis. You prescribe a cream, blah, 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 and they say, goes, goes home. If you charge that office visit without a modifier, you're not going to get paid because, remember, the AK that you did froze has 10-day global period and the guy came in back in five days. So for that, you need modifier 24, and you will get paid for that office visit, and you have to use the new diagnosis code, not the AK, but the rash or eczema, whatever that diagnosis was. Yes, sir? It, the question is, I was asked to repeat the questions because people cannot hear it, so the question is, Incision and drainage have global period. I believe it's 10 days. Yes, not I believe. I am pretty sure it's 10 days. Is that clear, modifier 25? 24, I mean. I'm sorry. Okay. Modifier 59. It's probably the most important modifier that we use in dermatology because we do a lot of itsy-bitsy procedures. The patient comes in. You do a biopsy to rule out a skin cancer and you freeze an AK. So now you did two procedures. You have to make sure that you, I, you use modifier 59. In this way, you get paid for both. So the bottom line is modifier 59 is to show two separate unrelated procedures. Yes? So the question is, do you use a number 59 on both procedures or on one? I am never sure every company has a different rule, therefore I use it on both. Yes? And they take it, you mean they don't pay? No, I never, I never had an issue with Medicare not paying for both as long as you use the modifier 59. However, about maybe Five, six years ago, I got audited. And the reason they sent me, I uh, got audited because I use a lot of modifier 59. So I sent all my records, and they came back and they said, um, OK, we didn't find anything, but you are an overuser of modifier 59. Don't do it. So I wrote them a letter, and I said, OK, when I use modifier 59, I am actually saving you money because I am getting paid 50% of my second procedure. If I bring the patient back two weeks later and I do those procedures separately, it will cost you more money. So I sat down and I wrote an extensive letter showing it exactly how much I got from them by using modifier 59 and how much it would have cost them if I didn't use the modifier 59 and brought them se patient separately and do it separately on top of that to torturing the old Medicare patient to come back twice to my office. So the medical director of the Medicare 
called me one day and said, thank you. <laughs> and that's it. So again, but the person who's sitting in that computer and looking at these numbers have no clue. They don't, they, all they are looking at abnormalities and spikes and all that type of stuff. That's their job. Uh, so if you have a good defense, if you're doing the things right, it should be okay. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Anything that you do, any procedures, more than one, modifier 59. Yes. The cheaper one. So let's say that you did two things. Freezing is $56, biopsy $76. You get paid 100% of the $76, and then the $66 gets paid at 50%. Uh, In the old days, there was a modifier called 51, and you should have known and put that 51 next to the cheap procedure so that they pay you at 50%. Uh, 99% of the time now, all the insurance computers, especially Medicare, always, they do that automatically. I don't put it anymore because I don't know everybody's fee schedule. Um, so they, Medicare does it automatically. It puts the 51, 51 next to the one that gets at 50% discount. So you don't have to worry about it. Um, modifier 79 is the one that you did a procedure. Let's say that, let's go back to that old guy that I froze an AK, five days later comes back and shows a rash on, your on his back, and now you don't know what the rash is, you do a biopsy. Your biopsy is not gonna get paid because you are in within the 10 global period, 10 day global period for that AK. You need a modifier 79 next to your biopsy code. So then you'll get paid for your biopsy. So the difference is 24 is for the office visit, 79 is for the procedure within the global periods, okay? Did I confuse you or is that clear? Clear. So that's it for dermatology, honestly, those are the four modifiers that you need to know. 25 and 59 are the most commonly used ones. 25 goes with the office visit, 59 goes for the procedures. And then the second commonly used ones are 79, that goes with the procedure with a global period, and 24 goes with the office visit with a global period. Those four modifiers are the most commonly used ones, and if you know those four and master those four, understand how to use them, you're done. Everything else, even if you do it wrong, it's gonna be 1% of the time. It's not gonna make you or kill you or break you. Yes? I couldn't hear you, I'm so sorry. The question is what's the difference between 59 and 51? I would forget about the 51 because 51 shows which procedure is gonna get paid at 50% at the half a price. And so in the old days, we used to do that. We don't need it anymore because the insurance companies, they put that automatically already. So don't worry about the 51.
Just remember, 24-25, 59-79, that's it. Now I'm going to go a little bit more esoteric stuff. If you do a lot of contact dermatitis, if you do a lot of patch testing, the patch test CPT code is 94044. But that's only for one unit of patch test. Let's say that you did 100 different allergens, okay? So you have to, you have to put 94044 times 100. That's the normally people think, and that's how we normally do business. But what happens is in the computers, you know, everybody thinks the computer's technology is so great. I really think it's the worst thing that happened to people. But anyway, so what happens is the computers cannot read that 100 unit because you can only have, you can only put two, two digits on the HICVA form where the number of units. So they're going to read the first two numbers, which is 1 and 0, and that's 10. So now instead of getting paid for 100 unit, you're going to get paid for 10 units. And insurance companies love that. They do it on purpose. So what's the next normal thing you would do? My girls used to put 95044 times 50. So, and then the next line, put another times 50 so that it adds up to 100, right? Well, then the insurance companies deny duplicate claim because it's exactly the same line. So now you build the same thing twice, and they think that you're lying or cheating. They pay for the first 50. They never paid for the second 50. I sat down and thought about this and killed my brains. How can I overcome? Finally, I started doing it 95044 times 99 units. And then my next line is 95044, one unit. That adds up to 100. And even if they don't pay me for the second line, that's only one unit. It's five bucks or six bucks that I lose, but I get paid at least 99. So that's my new solution. Which one is that? 24? The two tests, those up to 29. 29, okay. Right, so, but in your case, you don't have a problem because you're only using 29, so you're gonna get paid. Because remember, the problem is here, when you put the units, they can only read the first two numbers. As long as you have two digits in the unit column, then you're okay. Yes. Okay, so the question is, do you charge for the first reading? Right? Is that what you're asking? What can we charge for in that? You can charge an office visit. For every single visit? I charge a, yeah. Okay, they were telling me I can only charge for the first visit, and the last visit is going to be later. Does that make sense? So during the global... There is no global period, though, for patch testing. No. So, but I don't understand why you're bringing them back. So you're bringing people back three times after you apply the patch? No, apply the patch on Monday, check it, remove the patch Wednesday, read it again Thursday, and then check them again in a week. So you're bringing them back three times. Yeah. That's not the norm. The norm is twice. Okay. So 
you can charge for twice. You're not going to get paid for your third visit. So what you're doing is okay. For one time, you're not charging. So basically, you're getting paid twice after the application of the patch test, which is the norm, and that's what everybody does. But you're doing three times. So. No, no, I don't charge an office visit for the application date. I just charge for the application whatever I did, however I did. Then I bring them back in 48 hours, then I bring them back either sometimes 96 hours or 72 hours. So the bottom line is application and then two more visits. Yes. It's subsequent visit. It's still, contact dermatitis, yes. And then you get an office visit. My first reading, it's not that much, you know, it's, it's, it's usually a level two. But my final reading, when you sit down and you go over the contact allergens, we have all these booklets and then we give those cross allergens, blah, blah, blah. That's a long visit, so I charge 99213 or sometimes 99214 on the number of the issues that they have. Is the provider on site? Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's a level one office visit. Okay. It's a level one office visit if the provider is on site. Okay. I'm sorry, please speak up. Yes. If you charge somebody an office visit, if you build the insurance, you have to charge an office visit, otherwise it's insurance fraud. The same thing that I said. You cannot just charge insurance if there is a portion for the patient. That's a overall a global issue. It's considered, it is considered fraud. Unless the patient shows you that has financial inability not to be able to pay, then you can write that off. Yes? Yes. You you have to read the control. You pay for the control. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> I do. Any okay. Any questions on the yes. That's a modifier because I'm trying to separate to make sure that they are not the same. It's almost like doing two procedures, right? They are not the same. But even when I did this, it didn't work here because it was the same units. They wouldn't pay for the second one, second line. So, but yes, anytime you have more than one line of any procedural code, you have to put your 59. That's the bottom line. Una paste boot, una boots, basically the code is 29580. If you put it on one leg, you don't need anything. If you put it on both legs, you can use the modifier 50. The modifier 50 is, means bilateral. But you can also use modifier 59, it doesn't matter. But 50 is more appropriate if you're doing two legs, that means it's bilateral. And then for the second leg, you're gonna get paid at 50%. During the break, somebody asked me if I bill for the 
uh, supplies. I don't, but probably I should. Injectables, you can bill for the injectables. When there was biologicals, you know, Amoviv is gone now, but again, the injectable codes are J code, and those are set code. Usually, Medicare pays 114% of the AWUP, so basically, there's a wholesale price, and then you get 114% of that wholesale price. Um, and they usually also come in the units. For example, Remicade is still around. If you inject infusing Remicade, that's the code. That's for one unit per 10 milligram. Depending on how many milligrams you're, you're injecting, let's say that if you're injecting 100 milligrams, 10 times 10 is 100. So that becomes J1745 times 10 units, OK? And then you can actually charge for the infusion code as well as the normal saline. That's your supplies. You, when you do the billing, you have to put the drug number. Every drug, there is a national drug certification code. And you have to put the right code. Otherwise, you are not going to get paid. That becomes very, very important when you do hyperhidrosis, Botox for hyperhidrosis. Botox has two codes. Allergan was very smart. It's the same damn Botox for cosmetic and hyperhidrosis, but it comes with two separate bottles. One says, um, one says neurotoxin Botox, the other one says cosmetic, Botox cosmetic. Trust me, it's the same thing, but they were very smart to get two different numbers from um, FDA so that you can bill it for hyperhidrosis and you cannot bill it for cosmetic. So if you look on the bottle, the, the regular Botox, the neurotoxin, has a different J code, than, has a different NDC number, uh, and a different J code that goes with that NDC number than the cosmetic Botox. So you better be, make sure that when you do hyperhidrosis, you put the right Botox number, because most of us have Botox cosmetic in our refrigerator. Do not put the Botox cosmetic NDC number. Yes? I It absolutely is an office visit. I charge for it. The question is, what are you charging for the injection? Are you charging for the injection? What are you charging? I'm not sure if my number says the J code. Okay, but the J code has nothing to do with the office visit. J code, if you're really buying the drug and you're paying for the drug, so there you don't. You, so you're not charging in J code. That's what I was asking. Oh, I'm sorry. So there is no J code. The J code is only if you actually buy the drug and charge the insurance company. I don't do that. So, and I don't think you're doing that either. So you still charge just the office visit because there is no need for the J code. You probably write a prescription or whatever, and then the medication comes to your office, but you're not paying for it. The patient is paying for it. You can charge the injection administration, but what do you, what kind of administration is that now? I'm gonna just I'm being devil's advocate. What, how are you injecting that? Uh, is it IM? No, it's not. It's a sub Q. Uh, 
What is the code? Is there a code for sub-Q injection? You have a code for intralesional injection, which is what we use for corticosteroids, you know, acne or psoriasis or alopecia areata. There is a code for IM injection. There ain't a code for sub-Q. So basically, you charge an office visit. <coughs> and if there is one, you are not going to get more than 5 $6. So it is not worth it the hustle because those are level for office visit. You're doing a lot of work, checking blood. I don't know exactly what you do every three months, but I do blood tests, I do this, that, I go through the, uh, you know, do you have infections, blah, blah, blah. So it's a level for office visit, those Stellara patients. So I do an extensive office visit, and whatever that injection code is, even if there is one, you are not gonna get paid enough that it's not worth it to skip your office visit. So charge the office visit, yes? There is a code for that. You can do that with an office visit. I do it all the time. Oh, if they come just for the PPD that you're just placing the PPD, you're not seeing them, let's say the nurse is doing it, yeah, there is a code for the PPD. I can't remember what it is now, but there is a code for PPD. Ooh, ooh, now. What about the injection of bleomycin? What are you doing it for? There is no code for injection of bleomycin, so what you're doing is destruction of the warts. That goes back, takes you to the um, destruction of uh, benign lesion. Did you put intralesional? I think, in all honesty, I think the right thing is, is the destruction code. Because it's really, if you build for intralesional, I don't know, is bleomycin used for, what? bleomycin is used for what? For cancers, right? It's a, it's a chemotherapy. So I don't know how kosher it is uh, to use intralesional injection for words. I don't know. But you're doing it for destruction, really. The problem becomes with that, do you build for the J-code because you're buying the bleomycin, right? Or, okay, okay. So that's, actually, that's a million dollar question because you need to get paid somehow for the J-code if you're paying for it. Okay. Laser for psoriasis, a lot of us now has the excimer laser for psoriasis, but there are also other lasers. Be aware, the only laser that FDA has approved for psoriasis is the excimer laser, and the only code, the code that we have to use it is for excimer laser. There are a bunch of other devices in the market that they're trying to sell you that gets reimbursed, but it is not legal. The only laser that you can build these codes is for excimer lasers, 308 wavelength. Not approved for vitiligo, 
and should not be built for vitiligo. The only code that you can use it for is psoriasis 696.1. It pays very, very well. Please don't abuse it so that we can keep it that way. Um, now, it is done by area, 500 square centimeter, 250 to 500 square centimeter, and 250 square centimeter. You have to be, you have to be aware of one thing. If you keep billing it for 500 square centimeter and over, which pays several hundred dollars, two, three times a week, somebody is gonna call you and ask you, why don't you put them in the light box? Because the whole purpose of the laser is not to expose the patient to, um, to light or whole body light, but just to do local areas. The laser is for localized psoriasis. You know, if somebody has some elbows and knees or scalp, they don't have to go to the light box. You can handle it with the laser. That's the purpose of the laser. But somebody has covered with psoriasis head to toe, and you want to get paid every time a couple of hundred dollars, that's why you do it. It's not the right thing to do. You can put these people in the light box, because the light box, narrowband UVB, is the same thing as this light. It works as well. So you have to be judicious on what you're doing. And because it pays really well, if you abuse it, then they're going to cut it. This is one of the really well-paying codes that we still have, and it does help our patients. But if we abuse it, they will take it away just like anything else. New hyperhidrosis codes, I think this is, uh, unfortunately, it doesn't pay well. It's about 48 bucks, 60 bucks. So you can imagine giving 50 shots on each arm or, you know, under the palms for $50. It's a lot of work. Therefore, a lot of people are not doing it. On top of that, you have to buy that drug and sell it and then charge the insurance company and wait to get reimbursed with that J code. It is a pain in the neck. PDT. Do a lot of people do PDT, photodynamic therapy? So it works very well. It's only for approved for actinic keratosis, not for acne, not for photo damage, not for wrinkles, only and only for actinic keratosis, which is 7020. The CPT code is 96567. It pays more or less cryosurgery. It pays just about freezing, really, in all honesty and you're doing much more work. And there is a J code that you have to buy and then build the insurance and wait for it to get paid. And the J code is 7308. And it's only for 20% single unit dose. A lot of people are getting that mixed at the pharmacies and doing a lot of hocus pocus. I don't care what you do hocus pocus, but if you bill it to Medicare, it is fraud because the J code is actually only for the levulon kerastic, not for anything else. Because again, it does have a, every drug in this country is registered and has a number, the NDC number. So the code is unique for that NDC number, that J code, not the one that the neighborhood pharmacy is mixing it and give it to you. 
the J code is for the Levulon Kerastic that you have to buy from, uh, I forgot who makes it now, or it can be the generic one if there is a generic one, but it is not for the one that somebody mixes for you. So that's very important to understand that because a lot of people are going to the friendly neighborhood pharmacies and getting that mix, it's not a big deal. But if you're gonna do that, don't bill it. Any questions on that? Um, lasers for cherry angiomas, strawberry angiomas, hemangiomas, whatever you wanna call it. So that's considered destruction of the cutaneous vascular proliferative lesions. I want you to be careful here and look at this word, proliferative, okay? So you can use your laser, and this pays very well also, and is it by area, the larger ones, the middle ones, and the smaller ones. A lot of people do abuse this code, treating cherry angiomas with a laser, or even with little electric needle and get paid thousands of dollars. It is, become, it is becoming an abuse code. Really, the purpose, whole purpose of this code is for the kids who have the huge angiomas or hemangiomas that they need to be treated with the laser. And the code is intended for that. It pays a lot of money for that purpose, but not for this little cherry angiomas that a lot of people have it and want to get rid of it for cosmetic purposes. If you want to do that, charge the patient. I don't care if you use the little electrocautery needle, you want to cut it, you want to burn it, you want to laser it, but do not charge the insurance or do not charge the insurance at this using this code because this code is for vascular proliferative lesions. Cherry angiomas are not proliferative lesions. Any questions on that? So there is something called National Correct, Correct Coding Initiative that basically we went over with the example of biopsying it and then curtage and electrodesiccation or intralesional injection and then freezing it off of the wards. They don't want you to do two things, no. They don't care what you do, but they don't want to pay you for two things, doing two things on the same lesion. That is the National Correct Coding Initiative. Um, so, for example, and I'm going to go out of dermatology, give you an example. So, you do a upper GI endoscopy with biopsy. There is a code for that. Then there is a separate code for upper GI endoscopy diagnostic and then there's a separate code, biopsy of the stomach. If you do both at the same time, this code is what you have to use, and this code pays less than the addition of these two codes. If you build for these two separately, you make much more money than those, this one. But you do it at the same time, you only ch can charge one, only this one. Now, on the other hand, you can do the endoscopy today, and then you bring the patient back next week and do another endoscopy and charge for it and do a biopsy at the same time. So this is almost what we discussed in our example. You do a biopsy today, and then 
you also do the CND the same day. You are not gonna get paid for two separate things. You just gonna get paid for the CNE, CND. So it's the same example. They don't wanna pay for two different things that you do it the same day. That's called correct coding initiative. Or you open somebody's belly and you charge for a exploratory laparotomy and you see that somebody has colon cancer when you open the belly, you do a colectomy. So now you are not gonna get paid separately for this, you're just gonna get paid only for this one. But if you were to get paid for this too, you would have collected much more money. But they don't want you to do that because they're saying that if you do the colectomy, you have to open the belly anyway. So you are not gonna get paid to open the belly separately. And that was somebody asked the question with the evulsion of the nail and doing the nail biopsy. You cannot do the nail biopsy until you pull the nail. So therefore, it's part of the deal. You are not gonna get paid separately for two different things, even though there is a separate code. The other thing that Medicare always tells you, just because there is a code doesn't mean that you should do it and get paid for it. Because most doctors say, oh, well, there is a code, why can't I use it? Well, just because there is a code, you should not be using it. Just because you have a gun, you should not be shooting people. <laughs> the same idea, right? <laughs> um, this, is the, this is funny that I have this. Biopsy lesion that you think is skin cancer and also CND at the same time is the example that we discussed already. However, there are conditions that there are sometimes you have to do two at the same time. What do I mean with that? Let's say that um, somebody comes, you already biopsied it, is a skin cancer, they come back two weeks later, you're gonna CND it. But also they're showing you another lesion that is suspicious. So you're gonna biopsy that too. So now you're doing a CND on one lesion and you're doing a biopsy on another. It's not the same. So that's allowed. Then you can go and what, what do you use when you do illegal things? Then when, in order to do things that you're not supposed to do, modifiers. That's why you have modifier 59. That allows you to do two different things on two different lesions and it shows you that you're doing it on two different lesions. That's the whole purpose of 59. First, I had a hand here. Yes? So, if I do a biopsy and um, bring the patient back two weeks later to do the CND, yes. I don't usually charge the CNM code. No, you should not be. Right. But if they tell me it's that patient and I have to evaluate the biopsy, and I then charge the opposite, plus. No, because, because for what you evaluated, you're already doing a biopsy. <laughs> now, if they show you two lesions, and then one is suspicious due to the biopsy, and the other one is a seborrheic keratosis, now you got an office visit out of the deal, because you have a SEP care. There was, yes? So, uh, you have to No, because remember we went through that exercise. There is only one code for benign destruction. It doesn't matter you're destroying wart, molluscum, or irritated sep care. 
So you can all add them up and come with the total number and charge with one CPT code. That's the HICVA form. You really don't have to know the HICVA form, but it really does help to understand what goes on. Remember I was talking about the um, patch testing and the units. So the units goes here somewhere, and you cannot just put uh, somewhere, I'm sorry, here. You cannot just fit in three numbers. They only read the first two numbers. That's what I was saying. I mean, all those day and age with all the technology, when they don't want the technology, the insurance companies, they avoid the technology, and they use the technology to audit you and compare you to your peers of what you do or you don't. So again, they use the technology for their advantage. There is a box here, number 23, somewhere that you have to put that NDC number for the drugs if you're being a J-code. If you're doing a lab, right, you have to have a CLIA number, otherwise you're not gonna get paid. If you're doing most surgery, if you're doing pathology, if you're reading a KOH, whatever, you have to have a CLIA number. If you don't have the CLIA number, you are not gonna get paid and you have to put your CLIA number here at box 23D. So those are little details that hopefully your biller doesn't knows, but if they don't, then you're gonna get burned and you better teach them. Always, always, always get your local Medicare carrier's news bulletin and read it. They change it every three months. They change the rules because even though there are national guidelines, guess what, they don't have to follow it because the Medicare carriers are not run by the federal government. I run by different private companies. One area is Cigna, one area in New York is GHI, upstate New York is Blue Cross Blue Shield. I don't know, there are maybe 10 different areas that are run by private companies that is, they have their own LMR, LMP, local medical policy. And you have to know that. Because sometimes some local medical policy pays for the benign seborrheic keratosis. And then six months later, they change it. It all depends on how they feel like. And if you don't read that carrier's news, either online or the paper, you are not gonna know. Somebody has to read that. National Correct Coding Policy Manual, I showed it to you, the copy of it basically, that was this. Uh, you have to know that, that changes too. About a year ago, they said that they're not gonna, they decided they're not gonna pay if you do more surgery and biopsy the same day. Then they changed it. Fee schedule is probably the most important thing because they promise you one thing and then they don't pay you. You have a fee schedule in your contract, but they never tell you. Demand it, ask for it, it's your right. When you sign that contract, you have to get the fee schedule. You should know what they're getting, you're getting paid. About two, three weeks ago, one of the insurance companies called me, we're gonna have a Medicaid HMO. We want you to sign in. We send you a contract, you never called us back. I said, yes, the contract is sitting on my desk. The reason why I didn't call you, I'm not taking you seriously, because there is no fee schedule attached. And she goes, why do you need a fee schedule? And I said, let me ask you something. The company that hired you, when you signed on the dotted line, did you ask how much you're gonna get paid? Or you just showed up as a, as a bonus to these people out of your good heart? 
oh, no, of course I know how much I'm getting paid. So you, you want me to see your patients without knowing how much I'm going to get paid? I said, you think I'm stupid? <laughs> she couldn't answer me. So I said, when you decide you know how much you're going to pay me, you call me. But I am, you know, it's the first important. But we send you a contract. I said, your contract doesn't say anything about the fee schedule, how much I'm going to get paid. And that was the end of the conversation. So don't sign anything unless you know how much you're going to get paid. I always tell the girl, you know, when they ask me, I always tell them, when you took this job, did you know how much you were getting paid? What was your salary? Or you just go there blindly and start working? And if you are, if you are then you're an idiot. I don't want to talk to you anyway. <laughs> I mean, really. <laughs> and if you're not, then you're, you're thinking I'm an idiot, which is, you know, don't insult my intellect. So federal registry is really, really important because all the rules, the Medicare rules, change at the Federal Registry. It comes in November. So every year in November, you really want to read that Federal Registry because all the changes for Medicare is in November Federal Registry. And then there's a CPT book. If the codes changes, then the ICD-9. Now, in, I think in 2014 or 15, they're talking about the ICD-9 will be ICD-10. So all those diagnosis codes that we discussed, it's all going to change. Squeaky wheel gets the grease. You really have to yell and scream, pick up the phone, talk to the insurance companies. In my area, um, Anthem, which is the biggest one, Blue Cross Blue Shield, they stopped recognizing modifier 25. They said, we're not going to pay it. It doesn't matter. We're not going to pay it, they said. We know it's the rule, but if you want a contract with us, we're not going to pay it. OK? So every single Anthem patient that came who had a wart, or needed a biopsy, I said, I'm sorry, I cannot do it today. Today I'm going to charge you an office visit. You come back tomorrow and I'll do the biopsy or I'll freeze your work. Why? Am I going to pay another copay you come, if you come back tomorrow? Yes. But why? Because your insurance company is being, um, uh, you know, is not paying. I said, if you want, here's the number and the home address of the CEO and the medical director of your insurance company. Go call him or go visit him or knock on his door because he's making $28 million a year. Guess what? In about six months, they called me. They said, you're a crazy man. And I said, yes, I am. Because when you push people to the corner, when I have nothing to lose, that's why people go postal. <laughs> they changed the rule. They pay now. It is, unless you make them sign and say that I don't want to use my insurance. And, and not only that, you have, to say, you have to make them write that I don't want to use this insurance and I will not change my mind and ask you to bill to my insurance. <laughs> I have that written down, yes. You know what? Not everybody's problem is my problem. <laughs> then if they are on Medicaid, let them come back next day since the, probably they are not working anyway. <laughs> and if they are working, they should not have Medicaid.
Any other questions? Do your own coding. Look at your EOBs. Honestly, it's really important to find out what you're getting paid for the work that you're doing. Every provider, I don't care, nurse practitioner, PA, doctor, you have to look at because what if you're doing six biopsies and you're not getting paid? United Healthcare doesn't pay more than four, four biopsies. And they told me. And I didn't know. I did it, I did it. And when I look at the EOBs, they're not paying. So I called. They said, you know what? It's our policy. We pay up to four a day. Very well. Thank you for telling me. I stopped doing it. If they have more than four biopsy, come back tomorrow. I'll do it again. But I am not the type of doctor that I give them people, oh, I don't have a spot. Come back two months later. I tell them, you want me to do the fifth and sixth? Come back tomorrow. I'm here. I get them in right away. I don't make people wait. Um, that's, I think, basically it. If you want, if you're interested, we can do a couple of examples. If you're sick and tired of it, we can stop. Or those ones who are sick and tired of may leave. <laughs> yes, sir. New patient, new visit. Okay, so the question is, new patient comes in, patient has a rush, you do an evaluation, you don't know what it is, you buy a biopsy. Can you visit a new, can you charge a new patient visit, modifier 25 and the biopsy? The answer is technically yes and yes. However, in real life, a lot of the, and medic, with Medicare, it's totally fine and they pay. With private insurance, such as I said, well, those are looking for reasons not to pay, they are not gonna pay it because they, you have only one diagnosis code. So therefore, if you remember I said, when I sit in the subway, I look at people's faces, I find five, six different diagnoses. Find another diagnosis, attach it there. Sep care, cherry angioma, photo damage, dry skin. I mean, you, can, you know, we're lucky, we're in dermatology. You can look at just people's face and come up with zillion diagnoses, come up with something, put the second one to make your biller's life easy. Otherwise, they're gonna reject it, she's gonna, she's gonna send the note, it's just not worth it. But technically, yes, they should be paying for it. Yes, sir? That's a tough one. You certainly can, again, technically, but they're gonna ask for documentation. Now remember, the biller has certain amount of time in his, in, in his or her daytime. They are already doing billing. Every time they ask for documentation, you're gonna copy it, you're sending it. On top of that, then they don't pay. Then she calls and they say, oh, we never got it. One day I was so mad, I took all the records. They want records. We sent three times, fax. I said, why don't you go and stand by the fax machine? Oh, our fax machine is not in the same building. It's in Kansas City or in uh, Argentina. Everything is outsourced or in India. And then people's fax, all in these insurance companies, their fax machine is in India. So I fax something, it goes through India. So I said, you know what? I'm coming there. I'm bringing it with my hand. So you're not going to tell me you didn't get my documentation. You ha I mean, you really have to be a very active militia with these people. Yes?
You don't have to what? Sure, you have to have a plan. So you. F- Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I because most people they want to know anyway. You know, if you started actually, you're gonna open all Pandora's box. They're gonna say, what's this? What's this? What's that? Anyway, so I always tell them, you know, it's a seborrheic keratosis, nothing to worry about, or dry skin moisturizing program, lukewarm short showers, hot no hot water shower, gentle cleanser. So that's your assessment. That's your plan. I, uh, okay, you mean you're talking about for extenders or for anybody? How is it different? Well, it's not, but with the extenders, hopefully already the person that you're working with know what he or she is doing that that should be part of your training. I have two physician extenders and I um, trained them. You know, I didn't let them see patients alone for about nine months and during that period, Every time I did the billing, I, in the room, when they are with me, okay, this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm doing. And then when they dictate their notes, they, when they started seeing people alone, and they dictate the notes, you know, you have that uh, collaboration agreement, I checked every single note, and I checked every single coding that they did. Every week on Fridays, we sat down, when we got the dictations back, Every Friday, we sat down for an hour or two, go over their dictation, and make sure that their dictation and documentation matches the billing that they did. So I did that for about a year. Yeah. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, you're 100% correct. Most of the doctors, they don't want to deal with it because it's a pain in the neck. If you remember, I started the way I, when I started, it's a pain in the neck. Most of the doctors look at it that this is something we're not supposed to do it. We are above it. But tough luck. Nobody is above it. Everybody has to lower themselves to do this because this is how we are getting paid. If you do it wrong, the penalty is quite heavy. If you do it right, the reward is pretty good and it's part of the job. It's a business, we have to run it as a business. We have to learn it. There is no excuse. So what, what would be your recommendation at this level for us to uh, decrease our education and maybe take it back and use an educator to provide this position? I think what we're doing is something like this, and then probably what we did today in order to get, I mean, how many people in this room, I don't know, but you get it out, you can do the same thing on a WebEx then you're gonna have more people or you can have a, what we call enduring material. I, probably I should talk to the SDPA, maybe you can tape this and people can listen to this, what we did today at their home, at their basement, at their um, you know, comfortable house, so whenever they want to, they don't have to be here. But I think education programs like this is gonna help. And even come up with a book maybe.
AAD has a course, I know. They do it, I think, for residents the day before the AAD, and I don't know exactly what the deal is, if you guys can, follow, can attend or not, but they sort of do what I just did. They do it three, four people. It's just that it's not as long as what I did today. This is like three hours. Three years. Yeah. Absolutely, you're hundred percent correct. The other thing is now, you know, we used to build for consultation. There is no consultation anymore. If you have a Medicare patient, you cannot build a consultation. Now I'm gonna become devil's advocate and ask you a question. What if the patient has primary uh, primary insurance, the private insurance, and then secondary insurance is Medicare, and now it's a consultation, so you can charge as a consultation to the primary insurance, but then if you're gonna get the second copay from the secondary from Medicare, you're stuck because that code is not gonna work for Medicare. So I can go on and on. Nothing is unfortunately crystal clear. Nothing is black and white. It's very, very complicated. and. You're right, there isn't enough training you can do. Incident two, okay. So my understanding is incident two, it all depends on who you talk to. The doc, you guys should not, should be billing on your own when there is no doctor on the premises. That's the most important thing. And this, I think, happens quite a bit in Florida when there is one supervising physician in one office and they have five, six satellite offices and the extenders are on those satellite offices and everybody gets billed under that one physician's name. And that is not the right way doing it from what I understand. It should be my extenders, they have their own Medicare number, they have their own managed care numbers, and they all bill under their name, their managed care numbers, and they get paid 80% of what I get paid. And in this way, when I go home, I sleep better. Um, even if I am in the office, if they see their patient, I am not in the room, they don't need me, they do their own thing, I don't get to see the patient, they all get billed under their name. If they call me in, they don't know what they are looking at, I see the patient, I evaluate it, then it gets billed under my name, but I still give them the credit to them. So they get literally paid for it, but it goes incident to my name. So I get, we get paid 100% because I saw that patient, I evaluated that patient, that's incident two. Is that, yes, I see that finger thumb. So you really have to be careful who's billing for you. I think that's very important, that's the right thing to do. I mean, if the doctor is there and he's seeing every, every patient that you see and sign under that chart, 
that's incident two, but I don't know then why do they need you <laughs> if he's going to see it himself. I want my extenders to be independent of me, do their own thing. They get paid, not as much as I do, but then everybody is happy. It's very clean cut because the other thing, if you're getting paid incident two, how do you know how much you generated? It all goes under the doctor's name. How are they going to separate how much you guys are making if you are an incentive plan? My people are an incentive plan. I know exactly what they make. They know exactly what they make because everything is built under their name. There is no hocus pocus. They, they, they look at the computer at the end of the, each month. Everybody gets a report under their name. I am provider number one. She is provider number two. The other one is provider number three. We all generate three different reports of how much we made. So we know, they know there is no question, there is no doubt. But I don't know how everybody else runs their business. Yes. Okay, so MPI number is assigned to one corporation. However, each provider in that corporation also has their own NPI number. So let's say that my company is called Physician Skin Care. We have one tax ID number, and we have the Physician Skin Care has an MPI number. But under that MPI number, I have my own separate MPI number. My extenders have their own MPI numbers. So if I go back and show you this HICFA number, oops, did I show the HICFA, where is it? Hold on. Okay, let me come down here, hold on. So when you look at here on this HICFA, here is the company MPI number, company tax ID number in this box. But in this box, either my name goes or the PA's name goes and his or her MPI number goes so that we know who did and who built what. But it's still all the money comes under my company's name, under my tax ID number. But you still don't know, you still know who did what because the extenders, Medicare pays 80% of the allowable, of my allowable. So, some pays 60%, some pays 100%. It depends on the insurance also. But they know who's doing the work. Yes? It's a pain in the neck. <laughs> I can kind of answer that. Go ahead. So what you do is, so my doctor is doctor number one. I am doctor number two and doctor number three. Under doctor number two, we bill under his number. Under doctor number okay. three, we bill under my number. And then it keeps it separate, but we still get paid under his number. And that way it goes through, it gets credit. I get credit. You're right. But in my case, that happens very rarely. We very rarely bill incident to maybe once or twice they come and ask me what they don't know. And sometimes I just even ignore it. I still just go and put it under your name. It's just not worth the hustle to, for extra $20 to do that accounting and make my front person drive crazy. 
you know, it's just not worth it if it's happening once or twice a week. And I just eyeball it and I know what it is. I tell them what to then we're done. But if it's happening all the time, then that's a good way of doing it. So what they are saying, what he said is, he has two doctor numbers, provider number two, number three. Provider number two directly goes under his account. Provider number three, it's him, but it's incident two. So still, it's him. They know it's provider number three, but it's incident two. So, uh, so he's got two accounts, basically, right? Life ain't easy and simple. It's not. And it's going to get worse, unfortunately. Any other questions? I think we're, wow, we're over. 10.45. 10, 10, Thank you. <laughs>